of each of us is the desire to explore, to venture out, to leave behind the ordinary and find something new. New places, new paths, new challenges. We look for adventure and for a tomorrow that asks more of us than today did. We want to hear the wind in the trees. We want to look out across the expanses. We want to take in the beauty around us and find the thrill the average person never does. So we set out to find a better way in our relationships, in our pursuits, and in our faith. Life Trails, take the next step. You know, when we talk about hiking, generally we're talking about hiking to a place. We're going to hike to the waterfall, or we're going to hike to the beach, or we're going to hike to the summit, or we're going to hike to the picnic site or the campsite, or we're going to hike to some scenic spot or some overlook where we can kind of check out what's out there. But we talk about, I'm going to go hiking to, and you can fill in the blank with, with whatever it is. I'm going to take a hike to that place. And as we've talked about these life trails so far this uh, fall, we've talked about that going to. We've talked about going to or towards this idea of influence, and whether it's influencing somebody within the body of Christ or influencing somebody outside the body of Christ. We've said, hey, move in that direction towards that. This past month, we've talked about generous city, and we're talking about going to that place where we are living generously, and we're talking about moving forward towards a destination. This month, we're going to turn that all on its head because we're not going to be talking about going to somewhere. We're going to talk about going from somewhere. And we're going to talk about leaving something behind and going away from a place instead of towards a place. And the place we want to leave is a place that probably most of us have been to. In fact, probably all of us have been to. Not that we've enjoyed it. In fact, it's a place that continues to haunt many people. Maybe you are among them. It's a place that we go back to far too often. And sometimes it's not by our choice. It's just like we're pulled back there. And sometimes it's a place where even people are there and they, they can't seem to escape it. And maybe that's even the, the case for you this morning. But the place that we're going back or the place that we're going to that we want to leave from is a place called shame. And shame is a universal emotion. And I say it's an emotion because it's something that we've all felt. And it's something that's kind of heavy and it weighs on us and kind of weighs us down. But it's based a lot of times on things that either have happened to us or things that we have done or things that we have been party to. But we live a life or we, we live experiences in life that bring us shame. Maybe you felt the, the shame of being fired from a job or maybe you felt the shame of rejection. Maybe you remember way back when you were a kid and you felt the shame when you were there on the playground and everybody was picking up sides and got all the way to the end and there was like one kid left and you were that kid. And you felt that, ugh, that shame. And maybe you felt the shame maybe in the lunchroom when there was gossip going on around you. It wasn't true, but you could see all the whispers and everybody looking at you. And you felt that shame and you were shunned because of that. Maybe you grew up in a home where, where shame was part of the story, where, where it was pretty obvious that there were siblings who were preferred and that wasn't you. 
In fact, you might have heard things like, well, you'll never amount to anything. And like, oh, where did you come from? Or, or how come you couldn't be like your brother? Or how come you couldn't be like your sister? And we deal with these ideas of shame in our lives, and they're huge for all of us. And so what I have up here this morning is I have a wall of shame. And that's what we're going to call it. And we're going to talk about some of these different experiences that we have with shame. So, so we talked about that. You could talk about being shunned and that shame that comes with that. We talked about rejection, the shame that might come with that. Um, we, we talked about even, even the, the, uh, the, the different things that you've experienced, being left out, um, being, maybe you, we can add other things. You've been abused. But we have all of these things that are part of the shame story of our life that we could put on our wall of shame over there. You could add judgment and inadequacy and all of these different things. And we've all been there. And when I say all, that means me too. And as we sit here this morning, maybe we could say, oh gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Shame is universal, but shame is extremely damaging and debilitating. Because there's a lot of times in life that shame keeps us from doing what we should do or keeps us from from being who we should be, and it has a tendency to paralyze us and to kind of just lock us in and to hold us back, and we're just like, I don't know what to do with this. And it leaves us feeling inadequate, and it leaves us feeling insufficient, and it just messes us up in so many different ways. But here's the good news. Shame can be solved. We're not going to solve it this morning, and we may not solve it as we go through the course of this month and talk about this theme in this series but shame is something that can be addressed, and shame is something that can be defeated, and shame is something that can be solved because the good news this morning is there are trails out of this place that we call shame. We don't have to stay there. Now, just as a bit of disclaimer here this morning, I chose this topic originally because it sounded a lot like No Shave November. And I thought, no shave November, no shame November. Those things kind of, they kind of sound alike, and we'll, we'll have some fun with that. And so that was my idea that a little wordplay would be fun to, to have a topic there. And as I've gotten into it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure this is such a good idea. Because uh, my fear is that we may kind of, you know, stir up uh, some old things, maybe peel some scabs off some old wounds, and that's not my goal at all. In fact, my goal is to say, instead of having artificial healing, let's try to get to the bottom of some of this. And see if we can get it figured out. But I also say this this morning, I am not an expert on this subject. And the more I've studied and researched this week, it's like, oh, wow. There's a lot here to cover. And there's a lot here that I need to learn in the process. And I think it's uncovered a little bit even the fact that, that I struggle with it in areas of my life, too. So when I talk about shame this month, I am not talking from an area or from a position of, of expertise. I'm not here to say, well, like, I struggle with shame and... Not anymore, so just get in line and follow me and you'll be good. I don't know where the line starts, but I'm looking for it too, and we can all get in line together, but we'll do the best that we can here. Let me just say uh, this as we get started too. Shame is not the same thing as guilt. Guilt is positional, and guilt is um, based on something that we do. So if I do something that's wrong or something that violates conscience or something that violates the law, I am guilty, but I also have a feeling of guilt that comes with that. And it's a very much attached to a specific event or a specific action that I've taken. 
Shame, on the other hand, is much bigger than that. It often follows guilt, but it's not so much about the event or the action. It's about who we are as people. And it's about an identity. And so guilt something I've done. We can even pronounce something guilty. Shame is something that I feel where I feel inadequate or I feel uh, like, like um, despised or disgraced. And it's a much deeper feeling than that. Shame is awful, also driven by a cause. We feel shame and we feel like uh, to be ashamed because of sometimes what we have done. So the guilt is a step, but the shame is where it goes. But it's not always something that we've done. Sometimes we feel shame because of what's been done to us. And there's a lot of people who have been victims of the, the actions and the abuse of others who feel a lot of shame. It wasn't their fault, but they still feel that because it's happened to them. Sometimes we feel shame because something's going on that we've been party to. Maybe we weren't, weren't making it happen. At the same time, we weren't doing anything to really stop it. And, and we feel shame from that standpoint. Sometimes we just feel shame because of what's going on around us that we can't control. And so you might grow up in a home of somebody who's like a alcoholic and you, you feel shame because of that. Well, you, you can't do anything about that and you didn't really choose that and you weren't part of it and yet you can still feel that shame hanging over you. Well, I want to start this morning by looking at a classic passage in the Bible that talks about this idea of shame. And it's right out of the gate that we get to this issue. In fact, we're into the third chapter of Genesis when shame becomes a huge part of the story. So I want to challenge you or encourage you to turn with me to Genesis, and we're going to start at the last verse of chapter 2. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, and we're actually going to finish up in Genesis 4, but we're not going to cover all of that, but, but highlight some of the, the points along the way. But Genesis chapter 2, verse number 25, says this, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, the, this verse at the end of chapter 2 is the wrap-up of the creation story. In Genesis chapter 1, we get the big picture, the seven days where God created the earth, and he created the nature, and he created the animals, and then finally he created uh, man. And then in chapter 2, we get a more detailed account of what went into the creation of man and woman. And he gets to the end of chapter 2 here, and we are wrapping up the, uh, the creation story by saying what? They felt no shame. There was no shame in creation, and it was never God's intention for any of his creatures to feel and to experience shame. And as much as sin defiled creation, shame also defiled creation as well. And what happened? Well, Adam and Eve were approached by the, the, the serpent who, who was representing or was the, was the enemy, the devil, Satan. And Satan tempted them to, to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had told them not to eat. And what happened? Well, we read about it here in verse number 6 of Genesis chapter 3. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And that's action, and that was actually guilt. And I'm sure they felt guilty in the moment, but that's not all that they felt. And it goes on here. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so shame arrives on the scene, and they realize that they have failed. 
and they feel bad about themselves, and they're embarrassed. In fact, they feel bad about their relationship, and they're embarrassed in that relationship with each other. And you can even see in the next verse that we get to, they feel bad about their relationship with God, and they don't know what to do. And they actually feel, and they actually experience shame, and they have no idea. So here's their plan. We'll sew together fig leaves to cover our nakedness. And so they make these coverings for themselves. You know, what's interesting is today, there are a lot of people who are sewing fig leaves together to cover their shame in a lot of different ways. And sometimes it's, you know, like, I'm just going to cover my shame and, and kind of live this fun, hilarious, I laugh at everything, blow everything off, just make light of it. it, it and it's just an attempt to cover shame. And other people are like hard-driving achievers, and, and they're out to prove to the world that, that that shame that they feel is really false, and they are something more with that. And so they try to cover it up with their, their achievements. Or, or some people try to cover it up with, with popularity. There can't be anything wrong with me. Look at all these people who actually like me. And they're just fig leaves that they are trying to use to cover up shame in today's world. And it can be achievement, Religion, education, all of these different things. But where I'm trying to communicate to you, in spite of how I feel, I don't want you to see that. I want you to think that I'm okay. And so I'm trying to hide that shame from you. The problem is that fig leaves don't work. Verse number eight, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? If, hit, if fig leaves had worked, they would have just stood there. But they didn't work. So they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out to the man, where are you? But they hadn't solved their problem. But here's what I love about this story. Is here they are in their shame. They're trying to hide it in fig leaves. And they realize that, you know, a few leaves isn't going to work. So, so they dive into an entire bush. And they still realize that that's not enough. And God still comes looking for them in their shame. And let's just pause for a minute here and think about that. When we are dealing with shame, here's one of the fundamental truths as we talk about this, is that God is not put off by our shame. In fact, God wants to do something about our shame. And he comes looking for Adam and Eve. And, and he knows they're hiding. He's not fooled. He's not down there going, well, where did they go? He knows exactly where they are, and he's not put off by this. They couldn't hide from God. That was one way that you can look at it. But the better way to look at it is that God was not content to leave them as they were. And in the darkness of shame, he brought the light that they were going to need. But God says to them in verse number 9, Where are you? And Adam answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Now think about that. That's an interesting statement that Adam is making. When had he experienced fear before? This was new. And I'm not even sure that he was describing fear as much as he was describing shame. I think it might have been just as accurate for Adam to say, I heard you in the garden and I was ashamed because I was naked, so I hid. And God said to him, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And in this question... God is pointing something out. And he's saying, you're feeling shame, 
But he's inviting them and encouraging them to actually just own it. And he's asking them questions and he's waiting for them to say, you know what we did? We ate this fruit and we never should have eaten it. And, and wow, we ended up nowhere where we wanted to be. And that's what he's inviting them to. And yet, they're not ready to go there yet. So what does Adam say? Well, the woman that you put me here, verse number 12, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And that reveals another way that we often deal with shame in our lives, isn't it? Don't look at me, look at her. Don't look at me, look at him. And that's how we, we deflect it and we, we try to distract people. Or we also use other people not just so much to blame them or distract them, but to say, hey, they're just like I am. I can't be that bad because look at him. He's doing the same thing. And look at her. She acts the same way. And so it's kind of the misery loves company mentality. And so that's what Adam and Eve are doing. They're, they're kind of bringing each other into the picture here. And then God just says, okay, let's just deal with this. And so God says in verse number 14 to the serpent. And he starts this curse that's going to be on the serpent. And what's interesting to me is as he gives this curse, Adam and Eve are listening in. So he st God starts there. And let's read what he says to the serpent. But listen to what Adam and Eve actually hear in what God says. Because you have done this, serpent, cursed are you above the livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head, he being part of her offspring, and you, the serpent, will strike his heel. But I wonder as Eve is sitting here and listening to this, if she's like, oh, time out, what did you just say? Did you mention my offspring? And as she's awaiting her curse, and while she's listening in to what the serpent's being told, what is she hearing? She's hearing the fact that God hasn't given up on her. And even as she stands there in her shame and in her flimsy attempt to cover it up, God says, this story's not over yet, Eve. This story isn't over yet, Adam. We've got some things to deal with right now, but there's still hope that is coming. And I think this had to push back against the shame in their lives because shame debilitates us. We're like, eh, what's the point? I'm just no good. I'm just so useless. I just, I mean, I tried, I failed, and, and we just want to quit. And God shows up and says, okay, we got some things to deal with, but let's not lose hope here. And if you're dealing with shame in your story, never lose track of hope. Now to the woman, he says in verse number 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, with pain, painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be to your husband, and he will rule over you. And so this is interesting to me as we look at this story. First of all, God confronts them. He comes and says, you have eaten what I've told you not to eat. And God issues consequences to them. This is what's going to happen because you have broken the command here. But you know what's missing from this story? is condemnation. God doesn't show up here and say, oh, Adam and Eve, you are such horrible, terrible people. Why did I make you? I'm so sorry. You're such a disgrace. You're such an embarrassment to me in the universe. There's none of that. He comes and says, no, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. And there are going to be consequences. So we have confrontation consequences, 
but we do not have condemnation. And when we talk about shame, shame comes with condemnation. But I'm not sure that it's coming from God. Sometimes it comes from ourselves. Sometimes it comes from the people around us. But I don't think it's from God. And so we get jumped down here to verse number 20. God's talking to Adam now. He says, and this is the, your consequence. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until the, you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so he says, okay, and one of the consequences is you're going to physically die here. And then there's this next verse. Look at it, because it makes no sense to me at first look. So Adam, responding to the fact that God says you're going to die, says this. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Like, how does that verse fit there? I think it fits because Adam heard the same thing that Eve heard. Well, yes, we're going to die, but yes, we're going to have children. And yes, this, this human life thing is going to keep going. And Adam chose to focus not on the penalty and not on the consequence, but he chose to focus on the hope and on the future. And shame takes us back to the past. Oh, when I did this or when this happened to me or, or in, in, when this situation came up. And God says, let's look to the future. And Adam caught it. He says, oh, we're talking about what comes next now. And he actually changes the name of his wife. His, the name of his wife up to this point had been woman. And now he says, let's call you Eve. Woman just meant from man. Eve means life. And Adam walks away from this encounter with God celebrating life. That doesn't sound anything like shame, does it? And that's where God goes and that's where God takes his children. Well, verse number 21 is very important here. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam, for his wife, and he clothed them. And he gave them new clothes, and he gave them better clothes, and clothes that probably weren't going to come across in a, or come apart in a, in a strong breeze. And he didn't, what I think is interesting, though, is he didn't take them back to the way things were. He just said, you know what? This covering thing, we're going to go with that. But I'm not going to do it the way that you did it, where you attempted to cover up yourselves. We're going to go with a different plan, and I'm going to be the one who provides a covering for you. And that's going to be a really, really important idea as we continue on this morning, so don't lose track of that. Go to chapter 4, verse number 1, just one last verse here to look at this morning. And Adam lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now think about that verse there for a minute. The clothes that had gone on, because of the rift in the relationship between Adam and Eve, the original fig leaves, came off. Because shame had been taken care of. And the leaves, or even the bush, or whatever you want to say, that had separated Adam and Eve from God, that rift have been taken care of. What does he say? I have gotten a man from the Lord. I am back in a relationship with God. And look what he did for me. Look what he gave me. And so somewhere in this interaction, shame has been taken care of and shame has been dealt with. And as you look at these last verses, or especially chapter, uh, uh, verse number one in chapter four, you get the sense that we've moved past shame. Shame. 
So how do we move past shame? Well, let me just give you five things here to think about this morning. And these are more theological than they are practical. And this is where we're starting. We're going to get more practical as the series goes on. But I think we need to understand the theology of what's going on here. First of all, shame is the result of sin. Shame is, maybe it's direct or maybe it's indirect, but it is the result of sin. And we feel shame because there is sin in our world. Sometimes it's sin that we've committed. Sometimes it's sin that's been committed against us. But that's what brings sin. And when we're dealing with shame, then we need to look at that and say, okay, what is the sin issue that's involved here? Now, it may not be anything that you can deal with. It could be something that somebody has done to you. They're the ones who have committed the sin against you. But the bigger point in this is the fact that we're not going to solve the shame problems without dealing with them spiritually. We're not going to solve shame problems without spiritual intervention. And there's a lot that's being done right now out in the, in the, the psychology world of, of helping people through shame. And I applaud all of those efforts. But at the same time, many of them are good and have some really valid things, but we've got to understand that this is a spiritual problem. And the reason that we stumble with shame is because somewhere sin has been committed. And what is sin? Sin is just a violation against not God's commands, although it is, but it's also a violation against God's character. So when we sin, it's not that I'm just like, okay, God, I don't care what you say. It's that I am violating who you are. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just that they were disobeying God when he said, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. It's that they were violating his character and that he was good. And they're saying, we don't believe you're good. And so when we sin, that's what's involved. But we have to deal with shame on some spiritual level. Secondly, shame brings feelings of exposure and isolation. When they sin and they experience shame, they say, okay, we got to cover ourselves up here because we feel exposed. And that's what shame really feels like. Everybody's looking at us. Everybody sees. Everybody sees what's wrong with us. We're inadequate. We're unlikable. We're ugly. We're unlovable. And that's how we feel about ourselves. And we feel like everybody's looking at us. And we need to just kind of cover up because we're humiliated. That's what shame does. And then what does it do? It pushes us into isolation. Because I have to get away from everybody staring at me. And so I physically may back off like I just stop being with you because I don't want you to see. Sometimes we emotionally back off. I'm not going to share with you what's going on inside of me because I don't, I don't want to be exposed again here. And we have a tendency to isolate ourselves. And we do this in another way too. Where sometimes we're dealing with a shame and we're like, oh, I'm the only one. This is so horrible and this is so horrific. And if anybody knew, it'd be so humiliating. But, but I am the only one here. And I'm not sure that we're ever going to solve our shame issues by isolation. We're going to have to move towards God, obviously. We're even going to have to move towards people to help us sort through these situations. Thirdly, and I mentioned this earlier, but shame is not from God. It was not part of the curse it was the reaction to their exposure to sin. We got a phone call. Uh, we were going out to eat the other night, and uh, we're on the car, and, and uh, one of our daughters called in, and she's like, I, th I think I might need to go to urgent care. <laughs> I'm like, well, why? And so like, well, I, somebody brought in some stuff at work, and I ate it, and everything's swelling up. My lips and I, my mouth is tingling, and I'm getting an allergic reaction. 
And she kept talking and talking and talking, and I thought, well, at least it's not restricting your breathing, so you're probably fine. But that's what shame is. Shame is like this allergic reaction to, to sin. Now, God deals with guilt, and when God deals with guilt, that ends up taking care of our shame. But let me just say this here, especially for us, anybody who's in a relationship, which is pretty much everybody in this room this morning, a lot of times we use shame to get what we want in a relationship. And we think it's a motivator. So if I shame my child, he will be motivated. Like, what kind of kid doesn't clean his room? And that's going to motivate him to clean his room. Shame is not a motivator. Shame is a manipulator. And that's really important to remember in a relationship because there's a tendency to resort to shame. And you can talk about this in your small groups, the different ways that shame comes out. But we use shame sometimes to get people to do what we want them to do, so we try to shame them. That's not God's way. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to confront. It's not like we just blow things off, but we confront and we don't shame there. Shame is not something from God. Fourthly here, shame does not need to be permanent. We can deal with it and we can move on. In fact, that's what God wants to happen. And that's what we see with this story. Where we see shame comes in and God says, okay, let's deal with it. But once we've dealt with it, we can move on and we can have these relationships restored and we can, uh, with each other. We can have these relationships with me restored and we can live in confidence again. Well, here's the last thing here this morning. Shame needs a covering. Shame needs a covering, and we sense this. Adam and Eve sense this. In fact, that's why they went to fig leaves. And at some level, they actually got it right. They realized that being ashamed, the only way to deal with that was to cover up somehow. They just didn't have the means to take care of it themselves. And so God stepped into the picture, and he said, okay, how about if I help you cover this up. And so we see him give them a covering. Now, the act of God covering the couple tells us two different things. And one of these is pretty obvious, and we've heard a lot about it in church, and it's this. The covering that God provided required a sacrifice, because you can't have animal skins to wear without costing the life of the animal. And so there were animals that were put to death so that Adam and Eve could be covered. And this was a foreshadowing of Christ. He would be put to death for our sins so that we could be covered by Christ. And, and right there early in Genesis, we get that theological symbol of what Christ would do for us on the cross. And so Christ died for our sins. We've talked about that when we talked about emotional health in here. Christ also died for our sorrows. And sometimes we forget that. But how about this one? Do you realize that Jesus also died for our shame? When we talk about the cross, we talk about the awfulness of the cross. And we talk about, you know, the, the soldiers beat him and they whipped him and they, they put nails into his hands and they hung him on a cross and they threw that cross in the ground and would have just, you know, been excruciatingly painful physically. But if you have stopped to think about some of the other aspects of the cross, like the fact that he was mocked and scorned and he was spit on 
and he was stripped of his clothes, and he was exposed to all the people, and he was exposed to incredible uh, embarrassment and even to the elements, and he was humiliated, and they, they put a, a, a placard above his head that said king of the Jews to, to mock him, and then to, to make it even more, they, they put a crown on his head, but they, they put it of thorns. That was all about shame. And that same sin of ours that Jesus died for, in a likewise way, the shame that we have, Jesus died for. And so when we're dealing with shame in our life, Jesus says, hey, you can be done with this. I took it from you. That's why I went to a cross. But there's another thing here, not just the covering of sacrifice. There was actually the covering of animal skins and what had happened had been done, and Jesus, God, chose not to undo it. He just chose to continue it, and he put his own twist on it. And so in this story, what we see is these skins represent a really, really important part of the story. And it's grace. It's grace that God comes looking for Adam and Eve. It's grace that God says, okay, you have a shame problem here. And it's, it's revealed by your nakedness. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to take care of that shame problem, not by getting rid of your feelings, but we're going to get rid of this by actually putting clothes on you. And that's something that's continued from then on to today, and I'm, we're all grateful for that. But this idea here is that when we put on clothes, we are reminding ourselves of the fact that God gives us grace in our lives. And every morning when we get dressed, we can say, wow, this is just a reminder that God gives grace. He comes and he covers up our shame. That's pretty good. Because we don't have to live in shame. There are paths out of it. Well, this morning, I haven't given you like 10 steps for getting rid of shame in your life. We'll look at some principles as we go on here throughout the rest of the month of how you can deal with some of the shame in your life. But I just wanted to get us thinking about this issue. And I wanted to give you some hope. And then I want to finish by going back to this wall of shame here. And we, we put up some words here. And let me add some more words to this. You know, sometimes we're, we are ashamed because of the secrets that we have. And sometimes we're ashamed because we've, you know, failed. And we've been, maybe we've been immoral. And, and, and boy, we wish we could go back and change that and get rid of it, but it's just part of our story now. And sometimes we, you know, we have an addiction and we feel shame because of that. And sometimes we feel shame because we've actually done something wrong or maybe we, we've committed a crime. Or, or maybe we feel shame because we've stolen for somebody. Or maybe we feel shame because we struggle with body image issues. Or, 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 we, or maybe we feel shame because we have been abandoned in the past. Or maybe we feel shame because we feel like we're forgotten in our world. Or maybe we feel shame just because we feel inadequate. Or maybe we feel shame because maybe at some point in our life we've been a coward. But we have all of these reasons up here that we feel shame. And maybe as you look at our wall of shame there, you're like, gosh, that's me. And it takes you back to a place in your life and you still struggle with it. 
And here this morning is what I want to say and what God's saying and what Jesus is saying is you don't have to live in shame anymore. There's a path out, and it looks like this. And what does God do? He covers our shame. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an incredible story. How you didn't give up on us. In our guilt and in our shame and in our hiding, instead you came to us. And you offered your son, Jesus Christ, not just to die for our sins, but to die for our shame. And God, I want to pray for every person in this room this morning who is struggling with shame, something from their past that just haunts them. I pray that you would release them from that shame. I pray that you would remind them of the fact that you have covered it. In fact, as you look at our shame, you don't see it anymore. You only see a cross. And God, we praise you for that this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's what the cross is about. It's about your sin, but it's about your shame too. And I invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you to come into your life. And if you've done that and you're living in shame, you don't have to. And maybe this morning you just need to go back to that cross and say, okay, Jesus, you died for my shame. I'm giving it to you again. We pray this all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.